Hello, my name is Bob Hurt, and welcome to the Baseball Doesn't Fall, Far From the Tree podcast. For this episode of the Baseball Doesn't Fall, Far From the Tree, our guest is Glenn Wilson. Glenn played 10 seasons in the MLB with the Detroit Tigers, the Philadelphia Phillies, Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Houston Astros. Glenn was a first-round draft pick by Detroit in 1980 and an all-star with the Phillies in 1985. Welcome to our podcast, Glenn. Thank you for having me, Bob. I really appreciate it. No problem. I got uh, one question that I uh, I wrote down. I know I had sent you questions, but I figured maybe this would be a good one to start off with. Um, who got you started playing baseball? Uh, my eldest brother, who was eight years older than me, wanted to be the next Mickey Mantle. <laughs> uh, and we didn't have a dad. Our dad had passed away um, when I was five. So it was like, uh, it was a very tough guy. He was a very uh, persistent man or young man. And mom had to work now. You know, that dad had passed away. And so from... Uh, really age three, he, he put a broke stick, he broke off in my hands, and he pitched these plastic golf balls that they made back in those days. Plastic was real hard. It wasn't like it is today where you can, you know, mash your thumb on the sides of the ball and the ball crunches in. Back then, they didn't do that. And they were real cheap. They were like, you get like 75 per, uh, balls per quarter. And he invented a game called Automatic Men, where two people could play, and uh, the person pitching would decide if the ball hit was a fly out, ground out, home, you know, obviously a home run would be over the fence. Uh, and our backyard was, was really kind of shaped like a, like a miniature ballpark for us. So we had trees that sometimes would knock the balls down and that would be a fly out. Uh, and then he made me bat left handed when I, you know, uh, if I was the Giants, you know, and Joe Morgan was the hitter, I had to bat left handed. So, Early on in my life, um, starting at age three, and you know, and by age four, he could see I had a lot of athletic ability. So, anyways, uh, he really wanted to be a ball player, baseball player. I wanted to be a pro football player. Um, however, uh, you know, with him being kind of like, you know, the the father figure of the, of the household, you know, you did what what he wanted to do, and if you didn't, uh, you suffered the consequences. <laughs> but what was comical was he went off, you know, after he graduated high school, he went to a junior college, and he could hit and he could field, but he just he just wasn't very fast, and what goes was fat. He was just slow. And uh, after 
college of two years, he decided to go to work at the chemical plant to kind of help mom out, you know, uh, with the bills around the house. And, you know, the bills weren't much, but, you know, every little bit counted. And mom had, you know, she was an athlete. My mother had played basketball in high school five years on the varsity basketball team so that meant they brought her up when she was in the eighth grade junior high to the to the varsity basketball team and then later in life uh i graduated high school she played four years of professional basketball oh, wow. she was a very good athlete herself she grew up in mississippi along so did my dad and uh, my, while my dad was in the military serving, she was off playing professional basketball. You know, and when they when he got back, they started a family. Uh, and there were two boys born. And then when she was thirty eight, he was thirty nine. They had one more child by accident, <laughs> and it was me. And so, you know, I didn't know my dad. I don't. I don't have memories of him. I. I I, you know, I vaguely but remember the funeral. I didn't cry, so I didn't go through any of those emotions. But however, what took place was God had given me a lot of athletic ability. Um, and the way I, I, the reason I'm able to say that is by the time I was a junior in high school, I was already five and I could slam dunk a volleyball in a basketball goal. So I played uh, high school football, baseball, basketball, and track. Uh, pole vaulted, high jump, and ran the 100-yard dash. So, you know, I was just an athlete, you know, as a kid. How did you, then, oh, how did you manage us uh, track and baseball? Did you have to run from the game to, uh, to yeah. the... Wow. Yeah, sometimes, but... Anytime there was a baseball game and, and a track meet on the same day, I went to the track meet. Okay. Baseball, I, I didn't love baseball. I just played it because I was good at it. Wow. And uh, as a matter of fact, I was so good. I actually played varsity uh, baseball as a freshman at a, uh, the second highest level of high Texas high school sports was our district. And so the talent was pretty good, especially the pitching was decent. You know, there wasn't any like, you know, uh, 14 to nothing games, you know, nothing like that. So uh, the games were competitive. I enjoyed them. Uh, but I also held down two jobs while playing four sports. So, anyway, I got a football scholarship and signed it the moment it came in the door because mom had told all three of us, her boys, that, you know, once you graduate high school, you can stay here at the house, but you will pay rent if you do not go to college. And so, we knew the rules. And, and she was a firm, you know, she had to beat mom and dad. You know, even though we got big brother around, uh, you know, he took care of the, you know, the, you know, possible fights or anything like that. And we were a very small town, uh, 
was called Channel View, Texas. Uh, but everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew who that, you know, you could hang out with and who not to hang out with. So, uh, I had a good upbringing. And, 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 you know, being a, a good athlete, you start to get some publicity. And I loved getting attention. Mm. So anyway, I get this scholarship for football. Well, the baseball coach was a, the receivers coach, and when I got to college, they made me a wide receiver. And I started as a freshman, uh, started as a sophomore. Uh, I actually won the punting title too as a freshman. So I punted. I kicked field goals. I returned punts. I played wide receiver. Uh, but the baseball coach asked me if I wanted to play baseball also. And I said, will it get me out of spring football? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, I'll play. And my freshman year of, of college baseball, I got sick. They had given us a flu shot, and I'd never had one. And I got really sick. I missed over 15 to 16 games of the season and lost 20 pounds. So I didn't have that good a freshman year, but I came back my sophomore year and, you know, got my weight back and not playing football meant that I was working on baseball, um, you know, in the spring, but now I gave up football, um, just to go strictly baseball because after my sophomore year, I had broken the home run record, the RBI record, the, the doubles record, so, you know, a bunch of records at the school. And I was hearing that there were scouts going to be coming to the games my junior year. And sure enough, there were over 30 scouts in every game I played in college. And we played against Texas, U of H, Rice, Baylor, SMU, all the big schools. Even though we were in Houston State and in AIA school, in baseball, we competed with them and we went 40 and 16, uh, one of those. And we always made the playoffs and always got eliminated by a team called Grand Canyon College out of Arizona. But anyways, you know, like you said, the draft came along after my junior year. I'm picked in the first round. You know, I'm working two jobs, or I'm helping, uh, I'm working at two gas stations owned by the same man at nights. Uh, while I was going to, through, to college anyways. And, you know, I had three years under my belt. I could always come back and get the degree if I wanted to. Uh, but, you know, being a first round pick, you know, you're not going to turn down that kind of money when you come from a background where you didn't have a dad. Right. So. You know, you know what? I had a question, um, and, and I've asked other people that, you know, were drafted high. Um, you were drafted in the first round. How did you find out that you were drafted? And the reason I ask that is that, you know, there wasn't, I would imagine in 1980, there wasn't the media coverage they have now. Now it's a, you know, it's a big media event. You know, it's on ESPN. And how did you find out that you were the number? I, uh, I was told to be by my telephone on June 3rd. 
Research for our, our interview today. Um, I have a couple stories I want to ask your impression or if you give me the background to it. When you were playing, uh, and, and we all know, I mean, all you have to do is look at baseball reference and you could see you had a great, you know, arm in the outfield. But um, I read something about a conversation you had with Hank Aaron. And what was that about? Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember well. Hank Aaron was actually doing uh, color commentary for the Atlanta Braves in 1988 or no, 1989 or 90. I forget, I forget which year. And uh, uh, I was actually with the Astros at the time. Right. And I'd already thrown out uh, three guys at first base from right field on because on the AstroTurf, I had figured out if I played in a little bit on the guys when they got two strikes on them that would try to just punch a ball to right field because they knew they were getting the slider. You know, I could I could cheat in and not get beat with a ball over my head. And, you know, I might have a shot at getting them in first base. I'd actually, my first one was Keith Moreland who was a position player. He ran pretty good, not great, but good. And uh, he went to the University of Texas, so I knew him, you know, through that. We had the same agent. Um, and he was actually my first. But uh, later, you know, you know, that was in like 85, that happened. And I thought of it, and I had actually, I would warn umpires when I would jog out to right field, hey, their order's coming up with a certain guy, 
you know, be be aware that I may be coming to first base on a line drive or right. And I'd also have to tell my first baseman because, you know, they were switching in Philadelphia back then. They were switching between Bond Hayes and Mike Schmidt trying to figure out who to play first. So Schmidt was getting older, you know, and they were wanting to take care of his knees. But anyways, the story about Hank Aaron, Ernie Witt, a left-handed hitter, left-handed hitting catcher, gets a base hit to right. I had cheated in because... He didn't lift the ball too much at that point in his career to right field. And he had a one-hopper, and it was a pretty easy play. I mean, as far as he didn't run as well then, you know, he'd been catching about 15 years by then. And I threw him out at first base. And so after the game, I'm doing some interviews about that, and Hank Aaron walks up to my locker and says, Hey, Willie. Because, you know, he had found out my nickname through the other players. And he goes, uh, I want you to know, I have never seen that. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. As many years as you played, that's, you've never seen that? He goes, no. He goes, nobody ever thought to do it. <laughs> I thought, wow, now that is cool. Yeah, I can't say that. Oh, sure. Like you said, he played like you know, like twenty five years. I mean, he was around yeah. around a long time. And and you know, it's funny. I you actually addressed uh, a question I was going to ask. Like, I mean, how did you did you have a plan with the first baseman, uh, <clears throat> or there was like a warning for that? Because I mean, you know, he has to turn around and expect it and stuff. And uh, you did do that. Um, no, but what you do is, okay, uh, as a right fielder, especially if you're going to do something like that, what you want to make sure is the umpire and the first baseman knows that you've looked at their lineup and where they are in their lineup and who's coming up that to start that inning, the, the three hitters. Right. Okay, so if it's a slow runner, then you tell the first baseman, which then was Glenn Davis. Right. You know, the big power hitter for the Astros and a lot of home runs. Uh, went to Baltimore after that. Uh, so, yeah, you warned them. You let them know, hey, heads up now, base it to right, come hmm. to the back. And you tell the umpire. I remember telling Lee Wire, uh, he was the umpire that night. Telling him, hey, you know, be ready. Uh, you know, uh, he, he had actually called the first one uh, that I'd pulled off in 85. And he has got you. You know, and they yeah. appreciated that because they had to get into position to see it, you know. Oh, sure. They had to watch the foot, you know, like yeah. you would any play. Like if a shortstop was thrown over, you'd have yeah. to. You know, watch the glove and the and the footwork and everything. You know, there was there was another. And then right after that, Larry Walker started doing it. Oh wow! Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. He started getting all this publicity, and I'm like going, "Hey, wait a minute! I'm doing that six years ago." Right, right. You know, there was another story, Glenn, that that I read about that um 
I was hoping you could um, expound upon, and that was your walk-off home run. Your, yeah, I think you only hit one in your career, and you did it against the yeah. Cincinnati Reds, and I understand that Johnny Bench had something to do with it. Yeah, uh, before the game, I've been struggling a little bit uh, at the plate, and I'm with the Astros, uh, and, you know, Yogi Berra was the hitting coach, and he, he didn't, you know, he was 90 years old, I think, at the time, huh. or in his 80s at least, you know, and he didn't say a whole lot, but, you know, but he was still fun to be around, you know, it was kind of one of them courtesy jobs, I guess, I don't right. know. Right. Uh, so you, you didn't get a lot of hitting advice, you know. Uh, I know that my second year after Yogi left, so that would have been uh, 89 that this happened. I actually didn't start that game. Uh, I was called on to pitch. Uh, but earlier during the game, I had picked up on a Casey Kendall some bats, and it was a 33. Inch bat. I never used one. I always used a 34 inch, 34 and a half ounce bat. You know, because you had your own model by then. You know, after about, you know, five to six years, you get to design your own bat. Right. And so I had, I had designed my own bat. And, but, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, it's going to be, if I bat, it's going to be late in the game. It's going to be one of the closers. It was back when they had the nasty boys, the Reds did. And I'll be dang, you know, they, they sent me out to the on-deck circle, you know, and we were down. I, I don't even remember how many we were down by. Uh, I think it was two, maybe, and I think there were two on. And uh, I had told Dave Smith, God rest his soul, the pitcher, Real great relief pitcher for Astros. Uh, I had told him, I said, I'm going to use Casey Candell's bat. But before, during batting practice, Johnny Bench had told me, you're, you know, now that you're older and you're starting to lose bat speed, all you have to do is pull your front elbow in uh, sooner and it, you'll, you'll get your normal bat speed that you used to have. And I went, wow, that's yeah. awesome. So I took batting practice with it, you know, without the bat, using my own bat, and I was like, wow, Johnny, thanks, man, I appreciate that. <laughs> so anyway, the game comes around, we get to the ninth inning, we're down, you know, by one or two, and uh, Rob Dibble is warming up, and Randy Myers is on the mound. And I go to the plate, I'm, I'm waiting on Luke Pinella to go get Dibble. Because Dibble's hot, you know, he's ready to come in. Well, he decides to leave Myers out there. Well, uh, only a few people knew this, but if you pissed me off, then there was a chance I was going to do something big or good or have a good game whether it was before the game. And sure enough, I looked at I looked at Vanilla and he looked at me and he, he didn't make any kind of motion like, Who's a, you know, who are you nowadays? <laughs> and I thought, you son of a gun. And so he leaves Myers out there. He leaves a fastball up away and I just catch it just right using that 33-inch bat. 
and set it straight to right field for a home run. And, and yeah, it was a walk off home run. So, <laughs> and we were we were in the hunt that year. Uh, at that period of time, too. So, yeah, yeah that was a neat moment. And then, it, you know, Hank Aaron coming to my locker uh, after that, you know, uh, throw out at first base. That was huge. Having Johnny Bench now, after I hit the home run, he races to the clubhouse, and, you know, because he's working for the Reds. Mm-hmm. It reminds me. Don't say a damn thing about I gave you any advice. <laughs> sort of, sort of like baseball's version of inside information, right? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yes, hey, uh, another ball player helping him, uh, you know, up and down the ballpark. Yeah, remember I had played against Johnny Bench for a couple of spring training games. Right, right. You know what? Uh, there was <clears throat> there was another story that I wanted to ask you about. And this goes back to that great arm of yours. But um, in 1987, you were with the Phillies and Lee Elia had brought you in the pitch and you had a one, two, three inning and you actually struck out a pretty good hitter by the name of Howard Johnson. Did you yeah. throw anything other than fastballs or, you know? I never, I never threw fastballs until I got to Rafael Santana. Oh, really? I, I threw a okay. My first hitter to base as a pitcher for my one inning was Gary Carter. Oh wow! He was three. He was three for five on the night with five RBIs, two home runs, and now I'm basing. And I started him off with my high school curveball because I hadn't been on the mound since high school. Not even goofing around. Hmm. And I throw him a curve because I know that they're expecting me to try and blow it by him. And you got to remember, I was able to think like a hitter because I have faced other position players. And most of them do. They just either lay it in there or they try to blow it by you. Right. And I said to myself, you know, I still throw a great curveball and a great split finger. So. I'm going to stay away from throwing fastballs for strikes. So I throw a curveball in for strike one. And the next pitch to Carter, I throw a fastball away off the plate, just trying to get him to chase. He holds up. It's one and one. So now I throw him another curveball. He's sitting on the ground to short. Jelts throws it to first. We got one out. Now Ojo comes up hitting left-handed. You know, he and I went to the big leagues the same day together. Well, back when we were within the Tiger organization. And uh, he's laughing coming to the play. And I got a, I was told by my manager, Lee Ilya, don't make a mockery of the game. So I didn't smile. Every time he would be looking out, smiling, I would turn my head. And finally gets in the box, and I start him off with a split finger, and it stayed up for a strike. And they usually they dip down into the right. Right. So uh, I get uh, 0-1 on him. Then I throw a uh, a uh, another split finger for ball one, and it's on YouTube. You can type in Glenn Wilson baseball on YouTube and see the first two at bats, and then you got to scroll down to Raphael Santana's picture on there. You can see all three at you, you know, Glenn, actually, I did that in preparation for this interview. I did that. And I want to say you 
you looked like a pitcher out there. You didn't look like an outfielder coming in to okay. pitch. You look well, good. What's funny is I used to goofball uh, a lot in the outfield and before games and imitate Nolan Ryan. And I would grunt when I would throw a ball, hmm. you know, like Nolan. And actually, one game, one night in Philadelphia, we had a long rain delay. Larry Anderson, who had been with the police, was now with the Astros, brings over Nolan's jersey. And Nolan wanted me to go out to the mound during the rain delay on the car to imitate <laughs> He loved it. Everybody laughed, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was a night game, you know, like a Monday night. And it wasn't, it wasn't a big crowd. So uh, it, it, it was it was a fun thing. And then when I got that chance to pitch, uh, I was just trying to imitate Nolan's, uh, you know, his leg kick his delivery which you know when you see the video it don't even look like him but yeah. in my mind I'm thinking you know I'm copying him pretty good <laughs> but, but you know I didn't want to hurt my arm so I wasn't going to throw a lot of fastballs because you know I, I never could throw hard from a short distance like right. the mound right. even in high school I didn't throw that hard now you did you pitch when you were in high school? Did you? Oh, yeah. oh you did some pitching. Okay. Yeah, I was our number one. No, uh, I was our number two pitcher. We had a lefty and an uh, awesome sinker. I see. I see. His name was Doug Cooper. Okay. Now, uh, with with that success in high school, did you ever think of being a pitcher uh, as you moved along? No. You um, knew. I went to college. They never mentioned it. I never mentioned it. I really didn't like pitching. So, no. I was a third baseman my whole life until I got to the minor league. Wow. That's when they made me an outfielder. Well, that's probably part of the reason that you have such a great arm. I mean, I would think, uh, I mean, third. Well, yeah, when you're missing the first baseman by five feet over his head, <laughs> you're killing people in the stands. <laughs> Yeah. You know, in minor league ball, there's not a lot of protection down that first baseline. Yeah. Hey, uh, you also, in your 10 years in Major League Baseball, you played for a lot of man managers. Is there any manager that you liked particularly that you played for? Or any? Not really. No? Uh, no? No. No, I only have a couple of coaches I like. I couldn't stand Sparky. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you because you played for two Hall of Fame managers in your career. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was a uh, he hated rookies. You know, if we made a mistake, like get picked off the second base from the catcher, you know, because again, remember, I I'd only spent a year and a half, not even a year and a half in the minors when I got called up. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that. And, you know, now I'm in the major leagues, the pitching's around the play, and uh, they sent me down at 365, I think it was. And I was over 400 uh, at, after, like, two weeks in the big leagues. So I'm in my, like, my fourth week. They sent me down. I'm at 365. I quit. I told them, well, you know, screw you. I'm going home. And I literally was going home to Texas. <laughs> I didn't huh? care. 
you got to remember, I mean, I was only making thirty-three grand. I could come home and make that in the power plant. Right, right. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't care. It, had it not been for Roger Craig asking me to go talk to Bill, uh, 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 not Bill Joy, but uh, the GM for the Tigers, then Jim Campbell. Oh yeah. Uh, so I go upstairs. It's kind of like that movie that you you watch uh, Robert Redford in, you know, where he hits the home run. Oh, The Natural, right? Yeah. So I go up to his office. It's all dark in that that little room that overlooked the field. You know, he had a window behind him that overlooked the field. And so I go in. I sit down, and, and it, at least he explained the game. The business side. Right. They had put, they had to put three outfielders on the disabled list in the first week of the the season, and they'd open the season on the road. Well, when I got called up, I thought that meant okay, I'm in the major leagues now. Right. Good. Well, I didn't know you you could send me down, bring me back up. Well, that counts for two. Uh, uh, transactions and now if they bring me up again they can't send me down you know unless they release me or put me on waivers and you know he explained the business side and I went oh well I didn't know any of that yeah. you know it wasn't like I had a lot of time to learn that right. you know because I did not I was not a baseball fan I'm still not a baseball fan. I just know a lot about the game because of my older brother. Now, uh, by the time I was 10, I knew how to, to break a, start a slide, stop it, and then jump up in the air over the second baseman. It was stealing you know, second base going from first to second. I already knew how to do the takeaway hand slide. Uh, you know, and Sparky would go out of his way to embarrass me in the newspapers, you know, because I didn't know I didn't know anything about dealing with the media. I was just being honest. Like uh I had a night uh, early in those first two weeks, uh, I, I say eight nights, I had like a week to where I had a hit in every game or something and made like four or five outstanding plays in center field. You know, and it's 440 to center in Old Tiger Stadium with a 30 foot above you was a center, was a fence. The beginning of a fence, and then another feet to that. So it's forty feet above that fence. Get it, get a ball over it from home plate. Okay, so it's four forty, and then you add forty feet to that. That's four eighty. You almost got five hundred feet. That's where I hit my first major league home run, ten feet higher than that. Wow. So where it hit was four fifty. Had there not been any bleachers there, you know, there's no telling where that ball ends up. <laughs> you know, so when you're doing things like that and making great plays and throwing guys out, you know, at home and second and third, 
from the center and they stick a microphone in your face and they say, so how do you feel about the way you've played in your first two weeks in the major leagues? Well, I just honestly answered, oh, I feel fine. I said, but I bet I, I'm surprised at the fans. Hmm. But I've been doing this my whole life. They just weren't there to see it. <laughs> Sparky rips my ass in the newspapers two days later, and then every other chance he gets in, you know, he's ripping my ass in the papers. I actually walked by him one time and said, "Fuck you." Yeah, you know, yeah. I knew he and I were going to go to blows one day, <laughs> so it was probably a good thing I got traded. But for me to get him, Willie. For me to get him Willie Hernandez, they should have at least given me half a ring. Oh, yeah. I mean, he kind of won the, uh, yeah. <laughs> he was the big so, reason, right? <laughs> yeah, we already knew we had a great team. We just finished four games behind Baltimore the year before, and they won the World Series. So we knew we were close. Yeah. But, you know, most of those guys on that Tiger 84 or 83 team, uh, and 84 spring training. You know, I was with them up until five days before the season started. Uh, they were, you know, a bunch of, you know, older guys, you know, that, you know, they had already established themselves. And, yeah. You know, they were solid ball players, you know. But you had to make a decision between me or Kirk Gibson. Right, right. And, you know, naturally, being in Detroit, you better keep Kirk Gibson because he's already uh, a big name. However, the the media ripped Sparky's butt for trading me, yeah. you know, for including me to go get Willie Hernandez. I mean, you could have given up Howard Johnson along with Chet Lemon, and now you still got Wilson and Gibson. You know, for a longer length of time. Remember, the Tigers, you know, and Sparky was under a lot of pressure because he had promised them four years ago that in his fifth year they'd win a world, or within five years they would win a world championship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, you know, my end of it, am I bitter? Hell yeah, I'm bitter. Yeah. You know, that's only natural. But, yeah. Does it bug me? No. I mean, yeah. I never, you know, I never was a fan of baseball, which is a good thing. Hmm. I'm not a fan now. I couldn't tell you who's who. I mean, when Barry Bonds was still playing, I watched when he was batting. But, like, now, I don't even, I mean, that's the most boring game in the world to watch. Huh. I love college football, though. And you were so, and you were so good at baseball, Glenn. I mean, I mean, I'm a actually a diehard pirate fan, but I, I I live out in New Jersey, and I'm not too far from Philadelphia. I used to go down and see you play. I mean, uh, you were you were one heck of a baseball player, and especially for someone that didn't even like the sport. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. And honestly, I think that gave me an advantage because. You know, it, it was like, especially after I had the All-Star year, yeah. and the Phillies wanted to lock me down to a long-term contract, you know, that's when, 
I, I wish they didn't do long-term contracts. That's stupid, in my opinion, because, you know, I was able to relax, you know, right. and know that, hey, for the next uh, four years, I got guaranteed money of, of, well, it ended up being a million dollars a year because of collusion. Right. You know, we ended up getting that extra money that we were deprived of, you know, because of the owners getting together, you know, trying to hold salaries down, but you know, as far as the game of baseball, you know, it, it, I didn't, you know, I, I think I had an advantage uh, knowing that, you know, I, you know, I'm just playing, you know, to play because I love the attention. I know I'm good at it, right. you know, and I'll help you, you know, if you bring me on board, you yeah. know. Now, now, would you say the Phillies are the team that you most identify with? I mean, you played for what? Four? No, I don't identify with any of them. Oh, really? I, and, I mean, as much as I got traded, you know. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I have to be thankful to Detroit. Okay. I, I mean, when it boils down to it, because, you know, they gave me the opportunity to, you know, draw the retirement that I'm able to draw today. Right, right. Yeah, you know? and uh, so, you know, I, I would say if I identify with anybody, it's with Detroit. One in a good way, one in a bad way. Yeah. But one in a good way to the fans. I mean, there's no bad way for the fans. Yeah. <laughs> they were thrilled they could get Willie Hernandez you know, to have the alien good years. Yeah, and eighty four being one of them, right? Now. Yeah, one of them was just a tremendous year. Oh, yeah. Kind yeah. of like my all star year. Yep. I never I never thought about driving in a hundred runs. Right. But I loved it because I was able to rub it in you know, cocky Schmidt's face, uh, uh, you know, beat him out for the All-Star team, and uh, mm. beat him out in the RBI case and Philly of the Year award. Uh, uh, so that was cool. Yeah. Um, what do you consider uh, consider to be the highlight of your baseball career? What do you? I mean, you hit two home runs off of Randy Johnson. I, when I read that, I was like, "Wow! How many people can say that?" Well, I hit two off Nolan also. Oh. And I don't identify with anything other than uh, me and Jesse Barfield for three years led to our leagues in outfield assists the same three years. That's only ever been done one other time. Okay. Johnny Callison and uh, uh, Roberto Clemente, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's some big names there. That's kind of cool. You know, to be known for your arm is kind of from the outfield. That's kind of cool. And leading the National League in assists three consecutive years. Uh, you know, at the same time, you know, I got traded after doing that. <laughs> I got I get traded for another leadoff hitter because the Phillies hadn't found one since Larry Boa. Right, <laughs> right. Now, now you said, I mean, you know, obviously uh, your strong outfield arm is uh, 
probably what you want to be remembered in your baseball career. How do you want to be remembered in life? Because um, I've, I've watched a lot of your interviews and, and uh, read a lot about you, and uh, you had some definite opinions uh, about life and the journey that you took. How would you like to be remembered in life, would you say? Oh, that he loved Jesus Christ. Yeah. Period. That's it. That's yeah. it. That's all that matters. Right. I right. mean, and, and, you know, that once this man uh, finally devoted himself to helping others and doing whatever was needed or asked of him to uh, en enhance the kingdom. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, my, the, the first time I got to go to the prisons and uh, preach, I mean, to me, man, that was, that was perfect. I mean, that's, that's living right there. Playing baseball is being an entertainer. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have, you know, people that believe in Jesus know that we have life after this. Oh, of course. Know, they, you know, they don't think that there is life after this. Yeah. I would encourage them, you know, to at least read, you know, John 3.16 and then also go read the book of Matthew. Right. Which yeah. is the reason I named my my oldest son Matthew. I, I definitely like the gospel yeah. of Matthew. That's... Uh, yeah. I, yes. I totally agree yeah. with you. The Beatitudes. I mean, you can't, you can't beat those... Uh, and the Sermon on the Mount, and no, I, to I totally agree. I totally agree with you, Glenn. Now, um, okay, so you are a licensed minister. What what do you consider to be your your mission as a minister of of the Christian faith? I mean, is there? Uh... Um, yeah. Well, there's been different stages, but. Our most recent stage was after uh, preaching in the prisons a lot, uh, or the time, the time period that I was able to get to do that. I just started getting in my truck every day, uh, and I would drive around and I would look for people that needed help, and that was it. And yeah. God would lead me every day to somebody that needed help. And now it's uh, helping family uh, youngsters, you know. Like I have four grandkids, and you know, I'm able to help them with their sports. Like one of them loves baseball, one of them loves pitching, one of them loves golf. Uh, and I play a lot of golf, but... Uh, just ministering to wherever God leads me. But as far as, uh, you know, as far as like my headstone, all I care about is that it says his family loved him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. And, you know, I hope that, see, I got to, help a lot of young men. I managed in that minor league independent and three out of those four years, those teams went to the World World Series. And those guys 
contact me uh, more than any people I was ever around for any length of time in life. Uh, so, you know, I would hope they show up, you know, when it's my turn, you know, to, to land the box, even though that I'm not going to be there. <laughs> you know, that would be a nice gesture. And uh, because, you know, I'm dealing with a health issue right now that is, uh, uh, you can you can stay at a certain stage for a long time, but you can't cure it. It will eventually get you, but, you know, it's a, it, it, it gives me a reason to get up and get moving now. So I'm doing more work now than I've ever done before. So, and I'm, I haven't told anybody this. Right, right. <laughs> You're the first to know about it. Huh. So. Well, I'm honored. I'm, I'm definitely honored. Um, you know, but healthy right now, and uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I don't get down about it anymore. I've already been through that stage. That's the initial stage. But you know, I'm I'm positive about it because I know, you know, he's in control, and you know, God's in control. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I wanted to, uh, you know, because I'm a deacon for my church and I've been an elder and I've I've done some preaching. So I definitely share uh, a lot of what your, you know, your belief and uh, your your ideology there. And uh, one of my favorite hymns is I Surrender. And, uh, you know, from what I read, from what I read about you and and like I said, I watched you being interviewed and stuff. um you uh you basically did that. I mean you uh Absolutely. I mean you know, the situation that you had with, you know, like painkillers and everything like that. I mean you definitely you, that's quite an accomplishment, I'll tell you that, Glenn. Well, you know, it's it's strange. When you you know, that's like we all are not not all of us, but a lot of us can get caught up in an addiction of something. Okay, it could be anything, alcohol, drugs, uh, cigarettes, whatever. Right. Here's the deal, is, uh, okay, like when I retired from baseball, it was really because of an injury. And I had gone, you know, into the hospital, they kept me three days, they did a minor procedure, they let me out, they handed me a, a prescription, said you're going to have to be on that the rest of your life. Well, I had never done drugs in my life. Other than, you know, I, I dabbled three uh, three months with Dianabol. It was a steroid. Right. And, but it I, it scared me because it gave me heart palpitations. Right. And so I, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't smoke weed because I tried that one time. Uh, with my favorite quarterback of all time, Rick Leach. Oh. And uh, the ducks on the wall are in the painting at the hotel room wall. They started, they came off the painting, started flying around the room. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good oh, sign. <laughs> I will never, and I wouldn't let him leave the room until I went to sleep because I was petrified. I mean, 
it waked me up bad. Yeah. So, uh, but anyways, I get I get this prescription, no big deal. I come home to Texas, uh, you know, and you know, go to my doctor, uh, my regular, you know, uh, my regular doctor, and he said, oh, okay, and he refills it every month. I go ten years not even knowing it's a narcotic. I didn't know it, what a narcotic was. And then I watch it sixty minutes, and I, you know, I tell this story in my book. Uh, but I tell my life story in my book, Headed Home, yeah. that MLB All-Stars Search for Truth. Right. And see, I've been a believer my whole life, uh, from baby, or no, from, from age six, really, because we went to church when my dad was alive, uh, uh, Sundays, Wednesdays, they told me my dad was a Sunday school teacher. I don't remember that, though. Uh, obviously, I didn't have his class. But I do remember walking, you know, the side halls at the, at the church. And then, uh, uh, you know, at age 16, I went to a revival, and I surrendered again. Uh, but I was losing friends, you know, after that, you yeah. know. And... People were trying to dodge me because all I wanted to talk about was Jesus, you know, and that happened. But what happened was all the years later, up until age 50, he never left me. I just was doing what I wanted to do, and then I would come back and pray for forgiveness each night. I thought that's how it worked. Well, I never read the Bible. But at age 50, I started reading the Bible. And then all of a sudden, I was, I realized I was involved in an addiction to a narcotic, and that would not be me. Yeah. And I went to my closet, and I hit my knees, and I surrendered my life to Christ. And I told him, I said, you look, I don't know anything but baseball. And you can do whatever you want, but I need some help down here. And lo and behold, he sure, he did it. I mean, I threw him away two weeks later. I threw him away on my wife's birthday. Yeah. And I ended up in the hospital that day. Uh, I know it was two weeks after. I threw him away, and then two weeks after, I wigged out. You know, you're going to go through a wig out state. Right, so right. You might want to have somebody near you that protect, helps you, yeah. that protects you. Because you can't beat it. it you, know, the withdraw- you don't have withdrawals. You go into, if you've been on them that long, you know, because I've been on them 16 years. And so, uh, have somebody around you that loves you, that's going to protect you, take care of you, and, uh, you know, get you what you need. And, and I ended up in the hospital for six days, six nights, and did all the tests, and they checked me out of there, and I was fine. And uh, when I left, it was comical because the lady at the front desk said, Mr. Wilson, uh, all the patients on your floor told us, told us to thank you for them, uh, because of, of you coming to the room every night and reading the Bible. I said, I didn't do that. They said, oh, we got you on video every night. You went to- Room. I said, 
beginning of you uh, wanting to going on to be a minister? I mean, was that the inspiration, uh, you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I walked out of that hospital, and my wife drove me home, and I told her, I said, look, it's obvious. Yeah. You know, uh, God's got a calling on my life, so i got to go do some studying, and I went off and did some studying, and uh, I actually got licensed and ordained by one of my best friends, whose son played in the, at LSU, was a great okay. receiver named O'Brien. Okay. And his dad was my best, one of my best friends, and it yeah. was uh, at an all-black church here in uh, East, uh, East, or it's called uh, Northeast uh, Texas, up okay. here in the Tyler area. I see. And, and uh, yes, I got licensed or ordained there on a Sunday, my family was there. It was just an awesome event. And from then on out, it's been like being a lay minister. You know, I got to put you in prisons. I've, I've done funerals, weddings. I did my own, my oldest son's wedding. So I've officiated a lot of neat things. But more than, more than that, you know, I've got to help a lot of people. Uh, you know, whether it was give them a hundred bucks or twenty bucks or, this up, but I want to tell you how much of a, a pleasure it was to be here uh, talking with you and how inspirational and and um, I just want to thank you for uh, we finally getting together and you doing the podcast. Uh, God bless you. Thank you. I can't thank you enough, Bob. I really appreciate it. And if anybody out there, you know, here's this podcast, you know, if you don't mind, please say a prayer for me. I don't yeah. mind asking. I but you know that God's in control, but you know, I'm going to be praying for a lot of people because I've got a long prayer list. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's awesome, and I thank you for having me on your show. Okay, Glenn, you have a great day, okay? Uh, thank you. All right. The phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, is meant to indicate how children's qualities and talents are similar to their parents'. So to honor my dad and his influence on me concerning baseball, I named this podcast The Baseball Doesn't Fall Far From The Tree in his honor. If you have any questions about today's program, you can contact us via email at rvhurte at gmail.com. And if you're interested in our new book, Intelligent Influence in Baseball, you can also send us an email, and we will let you know how you can order it. In the immortal words of the famous baseball journalist, Red Smith, baseball is a dull game only for those with dull minds. <laughs>